0: Oh Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Bold, Beautiful Borderline Podcast. It is your friendly neighborhood borderline, Sarah, and I've got Lori here with me. And today we are going to tackle the final episode of the symptom series. Um, we're here to talk about unstable self image. So, Lori, tell me about your unstable self image. I
1: definitely have a problem with this. Uh, I think one of the main things that I'm sure drives people in my life nuts, especially Aaron is like, I can look in the mirror at like 2 45 PM and be like, Holy shit. I am the hottest person I have ever seen in my life. And I like knock on Aaron's like office door. Like, how do you not just want to jump me all the time? Like I am literally the hottest person in the universe. And then the next time I walk past that mirror, like 15 minutes later, I'm like, Oh my God, I am the most ugly human being. Like, how do you love me? I'm so fat and so ugly and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) It's like almost comical because sometimes I'm like so confident about what I look like or who I am or how like successful I am or whatever. And then there's that same day I can just be like a complete wreck about how like worthless I am. And while that like sounds funny and it like kind of is mostly because I kind of play it up and I just like constantly ask Aaron how he's so lucky it sucks because like there's no me there's no like this is what I think about myself and this is who I am it's like constantly fluctuating and so it's like really hard to kind of be yourself does that make sense
0: Yeah, it does make sense because if your view of yourself is constantly changing, it's pretty hard to keep up.
1: Yeah. And it's not just like physical view. Like that's just a really obvious example, but like, I'm super successful. I'm going to be very like, you know, one day I'm going to have a really great job and I'm going to do all this stuff. And then the next minute I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I should go back to working at McDonald's because I don't know what I'm doing here. Like I'm clearly not smart enough to do this why am I here? Like that imposter syndrome thing is such a huge component. And I know it's a component for like a lot of people, but you know, every, every school program I'm in, every job I'm in, I'm just like, how did I, how did I get here? Like they must have made a huge mistake, but then other times I'm like, oh yeah, I'm the mo-, like I'm super qualified for this job. How could I possibly have thought that I wasn't,
0: you know? Yeah, I do know. I, I, I sometimes have in the back of my mind that idea of like, if people only knew, you know what I mean? Like that I present so well, I can really like put my big girl pants on and show up and do the thing. And then like, I'm doing the thing and I'm just thinking like, God, if these people around me knew what the fuck was going on inside of me, they would never hire me or want to spend time with me or, you know, whatever the thing is.
1: Yeah. And I think that's something that happens to everybody, but my guess would be that if we were to like measure that somehow, people with borderline would probably notice that more often just because of that like constant shift. Right. And I think it's really the black and white thinking too, which we come back to every hot second on this podcast, but you know, if you're going from I'm the hottest person in the world to I'm the ugliest person in the world, or I'm the most um, qualified versus I'm like actually a piece of garbage. Why, why does anybody want to hang out with me or hire me or talk to me? Like there is none of that
0: middle ground.
1: And I think finding that is like a really hard piece.
0: It is. I will say I have the most middle ground in my life that I've ever had. Like I can really see the shades of gray and I can really see that even when I'm in, like a stuck point And I feel like all I can see is the black. I know that there are things that exist outside of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. So my, actually my counselor, my therapist has really been calling to the consciousness, the black and white thinking lately. And it's hard to address, right? Like and it's good to have it called called out for us. Um, P.S. Your fucking wedding dress. Aaron is going to die. I hope so. I hope so. But that was like one of those
1: things where like that was such a stressful situation because I was like, oh, my God, what if I make the wrong decision? Like, what if I don't look hot the day of like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to look great. Like, I'm sure I'm going to look great. But I just... It was, I cried more about that in the last month and a half than I have about like literally anything else (laughs) in like months.
0: Hmm. That's so funny because I did not have that experience when I was shopping for a wedding dress. Uh, You said you just like knew. Yeah, I just knew. I just put it on. I looked in the mirror. I cried and I was like, this is the one. And I didn't have any like buyer's remorse or anything like that. Hmm. Weird, right? It is. Wedding remorse. I mean, well, I'm armed, well, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I did not have that same experience that I know you've had. So, um, yeah. The imposter syndrome. So this is funny. So the other day I was on, I was a guest on someone's podcast and I remember recording the podcast and being like, I am a hot mess express. I am all over the place. Nobody's ever going to want to listen to this episode, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I, I turned it off and I just like slammed my laptop down and I was like, Oh God, I hope this never goes live. And then God, I listened back to that episode yesterday because it went live a couple of days ago and I listened to it and I was actually like really impressed with myself and not in the like, I'm the hottest sh- shit to ever walk the planet. But I was just like, wow, this is a good, this is like informative. This I'm well-spoken, um, you know, what, whatever it is. So it was kind of nice to look back and acknowledge that like in the moment, our brains really try to alienate us from experiencing the good in ourselves or in the world. And I think that's this unstable self image takes so much from us. Um, Like it, it robs us of so much joy in the moment. And that's kind of hard to acknowledge.
1: Absolutely. And Sarah and I both have our experiences with disordered eating and we know how much that is related to unstable self-image. So don't, please don't think that we're ignoring that part of this topic. We just know that that topic is going to be like a very, very, very in-depth one and we're going to need to give it the time that it deserves. And so we're not lumping it into this um, episode, but of course, unstable self-image and disordered eating come hand in hand in almost every sense of the word, Um, you know, body dysmorphia I'm sure is a huge component to people with borderline and all of the things that come with that as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just like the eating disorder or disordered eating symptoms popped up for me really early on in childhood, this unstable self-image stuff has just been an inherent part of my experience. Like, I remember being in like middle school and I was having some middle school is hard, man. I don't know if it was for you as well, but it was super hard for me. My symptoms were really, really rough. And um, I remember having like the, you know, your quarterly or whatever it is um, parent teacher conference. Yeah. And I remember my teacher telling my mom, like, Sarah's like lumping herself in with these groups of kids that she doesn't necessarily belong with. And my mom and my teacher would say like, well, why aren't you hanging out with so-and-so or X, Y, and Z or whoever? And I very distinctly remember, I think I was in the seventh grade. I very distinctly remember saying, I'm not smart enough to hang out with them. And my teacher was like, that's not true. True. Like that is not true. You are smart enough to hang out with those kids. And these kids that you're hanging out with are actually just going to get you in trouble. And I was like, but I belong with them. Like I belong with these, you know, whatever. And that probably was like a weird conversation to be having because it kind of called out the good versus the bad kids. And there's no such thing, right? There's just kids that have more behavioral issues than kids that have less behavioral issues, but like, I really remember then feeling like I'm not smart enough to hang out with those kids that were smart. And then fuck every year I tested into the like high math class and they took me out of class and put me in the higher level, whatever bullshit. And it was like, I never felt like I belonged there. Yeah. Well, so that's
1: interesting. Cause one of the other things that I was wanting to bring up is people almost like mirroring the people around them. And I've heard like pretty drastic examples of this before, um, you know, just starting to dress the exact same, dyeing their hair blonde like the other people or whatever. Was that something that you kind of took on that friend group and just kind of started acting and dressing and talking like they did?
0: Um, Probably, but I was always really, really over the top. Like, I like, no, really, <laughs> yeah, like I really used humor and being like boisterous as a way of so very, I so I learned really early on that being loud and inappropriate would maladaptively give me the attention that I needed because I wasn't appropriately receiving the attention because in my household growing up, there was just a ton of trauma, like tons of substance use, mental health, suicide issues going on through those years that, you know, my parents were kind of dealing with in the, my mom's sibling set Um, And so I think like I learned if I wanted to get attention um, to do it maladaptively. So I don't know. Yes, I'm sure I did take on the kinds of things of the people around me, but I also know I was like way above and beyond to them, which ended up not working out. Right. Because they were like, you're so fucking much for us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that my entire life for sure
0: and then it caused this
1: huge shame cycle, right? Yeah, I've just always been too much for people and again, I think this is one of those things where like being aware of that is really helpful and being aware of these negative or like this unstable self-image is really helpful, right? I can look in the mirror and and, you know, see a disgusting human that nobody should love, but in the back of my head I can go like, okay, well, if you go have a shower and like put on nice clothes that fit you properly, you're going to feel completely different, right? And yeah, I think it's kind of the same with being too much like you were saying. I was for sure that way in high school too and like I'm sure that people didn't like me for it, but at the end of the day, that was how I coped and I probably still cope that way and I can acknowledge that and move on and um I think I've gotten better, although not perfect, at being able to control my too muchness in the situations that
0: require it. 1000%. And so the biggest thing for me now being having started over and being 18 days sober is like not using alcohol in that same maladaptive way. I get to just figure out who I am and how to attention appropriately attention seek without anything that's going to cause me to like lean on those maladaptive Desires, right? I'm so I'm interested in your experience with this with Aaron. How long have you guys been together? Mm, Like four years. Okay, Tori and I were together for that long as well. I'm 27, so we met when I was 23, Uh, um, maybe just at 24. And I through this, you know, separation then divorce that's almost completed now. I um, can really look back and say that the basis of our relationship, while we really enjoy each other as humans, I remember looking back and being like, if someone like her loves me, that must mean I'm lovable. Mm. And now, and again, Tori is like the most fabulous person in the entire world, and I don't think that either of us would choose each other now because I don't believe that I'm worthy of love because someone would choose me. Does that make sense? Like, I remember being like, this is a person with a career, with an education, with a family that, you know, is wonderful who has all of these things. And so if someone like her loves me, then that must mean that I am worthy of love. And I had developed my entire self image around the belief that if Tori loves me, then I'm lovable. And then once I realized like, Holy shit, I'm lovable just because I'm me, our marriage kind of fell apart because it was no longer based on me needing her and her being needed. Right. Wow.
1: Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if I've come to the point yet where I'm, Fully confident that I'm lovable. And I definitely agree with you that being in a relationship with such an awesome person and the family thing you mentioned for me was even more important. Like, his family is totally normal. And that was weird because, like, they love me, and that is not like normal families don't usually love me. Yeah, I don't, I still don't think that I'm deserving of love all the time as a person. And that's something that, you know, Aaron and I have had had to deal with um, because, you know, I'm constantly like seeking that validation. But again, it's with it's with those that kind of shift in perception of myself. Right. There's moments where I'm like, how did you get so lucky? And then there's moments where I'm like, how did you make the mistake of choosing me? Like, oh, my God, you're going to regret this for the rest of your life. And there's both of those still happen.
0: So, and the funny thing too, is that both of those still would be happening for Tori and I, if we were together now when I'm not regulated, but when I'm regulated, I can 1000% say I'm worthy of love and belonging. So when you're regulated, can you say that and believe it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: It's just when I'm in those spots where my brain is not working for me right like no wise mind it's just emotional how like this is the worst thing ever and again I think it's the imposter syndrome yet again oh well maybe I've just like tricked him into thinking that I'm like worthy of such an awesome person like that that does cross my mind and it's been four years and we're getting married and I love him forever and all that stuff right
0: Totally. So can I challenge that statement that you made earlier then about I'm not quite there yet of believing that I'm worthy of love?
1: Challenge all you want.
0: (laughs) I think it's important to ask that, by the way, for anyone listening, like how we invite that into our... Because Lori could totally be at a place where she's like, nope, not today. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's important to ask that consent. Um, Yeah. So if you if you think like at your baseline that you are in fact worthy of love, why, why make the statement that you're not there yet? It, Cause I guess my, my question or my thought about this is like when I'm dysregulated, I'm not there and I won't be there. So the goal for me isn't about trying to convince my dysregulated self to be there. It's about trying to get my dysregulated self back to baseline because when I'm at baseline, I do know that I'm worthy of love.
1: Mm, That's such an interesting point. I think I totally agree with you. Like it's, and it's not that I'm, yeah, when I'm, when I'm unregulated, like that's temporary. And I know that, and that's the part that like Ten years ago, I didn't know that that was temporary, right? Yeah, so that's that's huge, and I guess, yeah, I, I mean, for sure, I'm worthy of love. I think everybody's worthy of love in some way. It's just I don't feel that all the time. I think is kind of what I was getting at. So maybe I was being like a little bit black and white about it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> believe it or not. No. Well, and that was my point too. That I wanted to make is that I don't believe that all the time either.
1: Yeah, and probably not everybody does, like, disordered or not.
0: I was just going to say, like, even if you have borderline or don't have borderlines, like, I can't imagine that there's a single person that walks around unless they have narcissistic personality disorder that believes they're de- deserving of love 100% of the time.
1: That's a good point. Yeah. I suppose that that would be a group of people that would probably think that they're, but you know what? I mean, I don't know enough about narcissistic personality disorder to like speak on it, but I'm sure they have moments where they don't feel that way too.
0: Yeah. They
1: have to, like, it's just human, but.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, that maybe that was a really inappropriate statement for me to say. And if if anyone's listening that does in fact experience that disorder, please reach out and let me know what that's like for you. Yeah,
1: we would actually be genuinely curious. Yeah. Yeah, we have no problem with any
0: personality disorders, obviously. (laughs) But yeah, I just was thinking that if there's a group of people that believes they're worthy of love, almost all of the time, but that would be, in fact, the group of people. Mm -hmm.
1: But what's so funny is like, I mean, I know Sarah and I've had this conversation before where it's like, well, if I only was like 20 pounds lighter, or if I only had better hair, or if I only had more money, or if I only had a better car, I'm sure Kim Kardashian is like, if I only had a smaller waist or like whatever it is, she would feel more loved. Although I don't know how much more love I would want from Kanye West, but just in general.
0: I think they too are getting divorced.
1: They are. I did hear that. Yeah. There you go.
0: I'm on your team, sister. Reach out if you need some support.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I um, feel like if, yeah, if anybody in that relationship was going to be a guest on this podcast, it would probably be the other one. But anyway, um,
0: the, yeah, I just can't identify the experience from the male perspective is what I mean.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. But yeah, the grass is always greener, right? There's always going to be somebody that you think is better at your job or is better at being in a relationship or is more cool or whatever. And I think it's very, very hard and it's very hard to strive to like be okay with that, you know?
0: So I have such a good example. One. Yeah. Like anyone listening, please know we're going to do a really in-depth eating disorder episode because I remember arguing with my nutritionist about how like I could get down to 109 pounds. You know what I mean? Like it was always like, okay, well the next 10, the next 10, the next 10. And pretty soon I'm like 85 pounds lighter and I've got EKG stickers all over me. And they're like, Are you going to take a feeding tube or are you going to take recovery? Which one is it?
1: Dude, I sorry to interrupt, but I literally at one point told Aaron, Don't propose to me until I'm at this weight. Yeah. I'm, I'm 70 pounds heavier than that weight and I feel fine about it.
0: So that's what recovery does for us for sure. Um, because you are worthy of love at any weight, but, so growing up, I had this, I'm sure complicated relationship with my cousin. So, so my mom has one sister. Um, I'm 27. My cousin Kaylee is 27 and we grew up together, um, until we were about like 12, 13 and a lot of family stuff happened and we kind of went separate ways, but, um, we were like inseparable best friends. Right. I have been five foot eight and 160 pounds or whatever since the seventh grade. Like, and she's been five foot, you know, four and 105 pounds since the seventh grade. And I remember growing up every summer, we would go to the outlet malls. We would meet halfway in between Seattle and Portland and go to the outlet malls. And we would get the same clothes, except for my clothes would be like six sizes bigger than hers. And I started to just cry and cry and cry every summer until my mom was finally like, I'm not taking you shopping with your cousin anymore. It's like so traumatizing for you. Okay. Whatever. Fast forward like 20 years and Kaylee, not too long ago said to me, I was always so jealous of you. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, bitch? I was always so jealous of you. And she was like, I said, you were always so skinny and so smart. And she was like, you were always so athletic and so personable. You always had friends. You always had boyfriends. I wanted to be you my entire life. And I was like, I wanted to be you my entire life. Yeah. I don't even have anything to say. From her perspective, she was like, I'll take the bigger body if it comes with the friendships that you have. And from my perspective, it was like, I'll give up the friendships if I can have the smaller body. You know what I mean? It was like so sad for me to think that I spent 20 years of my life like being jealous of her when I could have just embraced our differences and like cherished the relationship. But nobody taught us how, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I, at some point during COVID, read this thing on Instagram and I wish that I could give credit to whoever posted it because I don't remember who and I don't think at the time I realized how incredibly impactful it was going to be for me. Somebody posted probably around New Year's when all this like bullshit diet stuff is coming out and it's super triggering. Somebody just said, clothes are supposed to fit you. You're not supposed to fit clothes. And Sarah, I am telling you, that has completely changed my self image, the way I shop, the way I dress in one tiny phrase. I, I can't even explain to you how impactful that one phrase was. And I don't remember who posted it. I don't remember when, I don't remember what the post was. Like it's, it's one of those things, right? Who cares if your jeans were six sizes bigger? It's not gonna make any difference. But if you feel confident in those jeans, then that's what it, that's what matters, you know?
0: Absolutely. And I can tell you right now being, I don't know, 30 pounds heavier than I was at my lowest weight of my eating disorder, even maybe more than that right now. Like I honestly can't keep up with the Instagram DM slides coming through. And I'm like not saying that because I think I'm hot shit. I'm saying it because like people don't really care. You know, like we think people care. We think we are supposed to hold this like socialized ideal body and I I can't keep up with it, the amount of people that are like trying to hit me up and I'm like, "Well, wait a minute. This body isn't like what it's supposed to be to be viewed as sexy."
1: It's I'm literally point. engaged and have pictures of my fiancé all over my Instagram, and the same thing happens to me. And yeah. it's just like, oh, weird. So, like, if I Isn't just think kind I'm of beautiful, yeah, exactly. Like, thanks, man. Like, I kind of love the messages, but <laughs> at the same time, it's just like, I didn't think that anyone thought that. But I think it's because I'm projecting an energy that is confident and happy and whatever. Like, it's like going, I mean, feels like a very long time ago, but like going to a club, if you went to a club and you were looking for a dude, nobody would talk to you. If you had a boyfriend and then you went to a club with your girlfriends, every single person in the world would hit on you because you, you didn't need them. Right. Like it's just weird human nature where the energy you give off is so much more important than what you look like or how you dress or how much money you have or anything like that.
0: Yeah. And like back to the shopping thing, right. It's like cut out the tag because if the jeans fit fit you better at a size 12 or like compared to a 10, nobody cares. Like nobody, nobody gives a shit if it's a 24 versus a 20, or if it's a four versus a zero, like whatever the thing is, Nobody cares. And I, and I actually, I actually heard something the other day too, that was like, no, there's no number in the world that will make you happy.
1: No money or weight or anything.
0: Followers.
1: Yeah. Followers. Um, that's a huge one.
0: Podcast downloads, Lori. Okay. Well, I am a little obsessed with the podcast. Download. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyways. Unstable self image, super normal part of borderline. What do you do to cope? I think I try really hard to
1: remind myself that these feelings are temporary and that when I'm regulated, they will resolve. So again, I just do my regular, like, go for a walk. I think exercising is like really huge and not exercising because I'm trying to lose weight and look differently, exercising because the endorphins are everything and I need them. Um, Fresh air, sunlight, water. And again, eating well, not because you're trying to lose weight, but because your body needs fuel and just distraction is always big. It's really, it's really all of my regulation techniques. It's just using them to get out of this headspace that I, that I don't need to be in. And I do like, you know, wearing clothes that fit you, washing your hair when you don't want to moisturizing your face, (laughs) you know, like really basic, like, like hygiene things, And it's not like I'm a gross person. Like I shower every day and I, you know, whatever, but just- Do you
0: really shower every single day? Seven days a week? Girl, I shower probably like,
1: sometimes I shower twice a day. Oh my God. I don't wash my hair enough though. That is a huge problem of mine, but- I could go four days without a shower, five days without a shower if I'm depressed. Well, that's why you live in a van. Um, No, (laughs) I, I, yeah, I mean, I could probably go a day and a half if I was like super, super depressed- but I, I can't, I'm like really weird about feeling clean.
0: So in my marriage with Tori, she would be like, okay, Sarah, like we're going to get in the shower together because it's been like, you're, it's been too long. And I, at first I remember being like, fuck you bitch. And then I was like, finally got to a place where I was like, okay. Like, and she would like help me shower. Cause that's the first thing to go out the window for me when I'm depressed is I'm like, man, fuck you guys. Like I'll go run. I just like won't shower. <laughs> it's really hard when you're depressed. It is.
1: Yeah, totally. And how does that affect your self image? Do you notice an effect on your self image?
0: Uh, well, if I'm depressed, I'm already like, you know, whatever. So that's not really an issue unless I'm depressed. If I'm not depressed, I'm, I have no issues with hygiene. I will say that sometimes I just like need some lipstick in my life to just be like, good on you, Sarah,
1: good on you. Yeah. And I think especially during COVID where like, you're not going out very much or like if you're going out you're wearing a mask or whatever like sometimes I just need to put makeup on for myself like I don't put makeup on for other people I couldn't give a shit what other people think but I just need to like feel good and and just to go back to the um self hygiene self-image thing so if you're depressed and let's say like somebody forces you to shower because you haven't showered in four days does that increase your self-image after you shower or it has no effect at
0: all? Oh no, it wouldn't have an effect.
1: Hmm, interesting.
0: Yeah. But that's been a long standing. I mean, I remember like my first intensive outpatient and my first hospital, well, only inpatient hospitalization. Uh, I was sleeping like 16, 17 hours a day and I'd go like two weeks without showering. Like I was like very, very clinically depressed. It was my first major depressive episode. So it was like my first time experiencing it. So that's just been a thing off and on. I do shower now like five days a week.
1: You're like, I can't be asked to do seven. That's not fair.
0: (laughs) It's not, it's not even good for us either. Like we, our bodies don't need that seven days a week.
1: Yeah. I used to be actually like so obsessed with it that I would wash my hair seven days a week. That's so bad for your hair. I know. I know I was, this was when I was like 18 and now I like, I, I barely wash my hair like to the point where I was like, Oh yeah, I'm just like training it. And then I'm like, no, I'm just lazy. Like I hate washing my hair so much, but if I'm feeling like super gross and like awful about myself, if I can motivate myself to wash my hair, it just makes like such a big difference. I just can't motivate myself to wash my hair every day or every other day.
0: Oh yeah. No, I only wash my hair maybe two, three days a week. Dry shampoo does wonders though. doesn't work for me. Don't know why. I, babe, what about uh, baby powder?
1: No, I can't wear my hair down if I haven't washed it that day, period. So if you'll know. notice, I'll wear my hair uh, down one day because I washed it that day. I can't even if I wash it the night before I can't wear it down.
0: So I I think I just have the like a little bit grungy Portland hipster thing going for me and no offense to you Lori but you are far too put together to rock that. Like you're <laughs> just too pretty of a human. Listen I have fucking hand tattoos and like a septum ring and you know what I mean like like I have I'm just a little bit more dirty, I think, than you. And like that, I think that works for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're gorgeous <laughs> and you're doing you. I just, uh, yeah, no, that, that, that is not a thing that I can do, but I have zero tattoos. I barely have any piercings, like can't wear my hair down if it hasn't been washed, like all these challenging pieces of my personality that are a little bit stubborn. So
0: yeah. I, one time went to a dive, when I, uh, dive bar and it was like after, a long bike ride. And I was just like, I need that vodka hit in my life. Um, so I went to a dive bar and I got, you know, probably way more vodkas than I needed to in French fries in running shorts and a sports bra and a hoodie. And I was just like a hot mess express. And I like made out with this guy and all of these things. And I just remember being like, you know, I'm like a troll right now. Right. And he was like, you're very hot right now. And I was just like, all right, cool. So if I can do this now, like, I don't need, I don't need all that other stuff. Hot mess is
1: a thing for a reason. Unstable self-image is weird. End of story. Wash your hair. Wash your hair. Not every day, but between two to seven days, every, wash your hair. And just remember that it's whatever self-image issue that you're having is temporary. And so you will get back to baseline if we can learn to regulate ourselves better. Happy, happy. Don't look in the mirror today, friends.
0: (laughs) No, for real mirrors are not your, when I experienced that on, I experienced that on my car camping trip. Like I didn't look in a mirror for like four or five days. And then all of a sudden I was standing in a mirror and I was like, what is this? Like it skewed with my sense of self and my joy so much. I couldn't even stand it. So Get out of the mirrors, get out of the selfies, like go out into the world and just fucking do shit, man. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey. And we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.